we are definitely like frogs boiling in water here, right? If you told me 20 years ago that like the world's third most valuable, I don't know, how, however valuable Facebook is, would spend X amount of hours a day, like seeing my every move, knowing all of my likes and dislikes, knowing all of my friends, seeing all of my personal conversations <laughs> and using that to sell me things. I think that that is a perfectly good dystopic vision of AI that someone could have written in the 70s and that exists today. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. We are here today with Shantanu, my friend from college who uh, is an AI expert. I'm going to just say that. Uh, I'm going to say that. You're more of an expert than I am. Probably. <laughs> of all the people, put it this way, of all the people who are my friends, I don't think I know someone who could tell me more about AI than you. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been really, I personally have been really interested in AI for a long time, partially because I got into it because of my favorite book, Sapiens, which I plug on the show almost every episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, almost every episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I've been really, yeah, I've been really wanting to, I, I'm just generally really into futurism. So I'm very excited to think about like mm -hmm. the possibility of, so basically Sean to sent us this article beforehand and uh, on Wait But Why, which is also a blog that I plug on this podcast a lot. <laughs> I, I sent it to you because you plug Wait But Why on this podcast right, all right. the time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so funny. But I hadn't, I hadn't read that article before yet. Um, and it was bananas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, go ahead, John. <laughs> yeah, no, I also, um, today, so I was so off like in my AI brain today that like when I went to my physical therapy appointment, I was like, I gotta, I can't read right now cause I'm in the car, but I gotta, I gotta listen to some, something, something big brainy. So I just like. <laughs> I just Google or I just like typed in wait, but why into Spotify. Oh, is there to see a podcast? He, the guy, I think his name is Tim Urban. Right. He has been a guest on a number of podcasts and he was on a guest. He was a guest on a podcast by this dude named Lex Hooper, who I don't know, but I guess seems like he has some establishment or some established, like, you know, big brain podcast <laughs> topics, whatever. Yeah. So he just like, it's this two, two and a half hour long podcast that I guess we can include in our show notes where they're just talking about like, you know, they talk about AI, they talk about um, Elon Musk, they talk about like, you know, just like general human progression um, and some stuff like that. But I heard, you know, I, yeah, I, I had been a fan of the dude's writing, but he's also a cool talker too, yeah. I can say. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, so Sean Tanu, why don't you give us like a real quick little intro for, you know, whatever you think the the audience should know about you? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Sean Tanu. I went to college with Isabel. And since then, I s started working in tech. I worked at a company called Quora for a couple of years. Um, it's a question and answer website. And then this is this is the Quora. Quora.com. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Awesome. Uh, and n now I work at OpenAI, which is an AI research lab. I currently work on uh, uh, on modeling language and code. I do have a disclaimer. 
Uh, so the disclaimer is this. Uh, AI is often just a conversation opener. It's sort of a lens for people to talk about the future or economics or society or culture or deep personal fears. And I'm not an expert on economic society, culture, or your deep personal fears, but I'm just doing my best. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. cool. Uh, so can, can you just explain to us like, you know, basic level for, you know, for anyone who isn't really familiar with AI, what exactly it is? That's a, re- that's a really great question. Uh, and AI is a lot of things. Uh, a lot of which don't yet exist. Um, so, like, it's it's also ex- extra pernicious because it's such a buzzword that any company will try to use AI as the phrase to describe the specific thing they're doing. Uh, right. Yeah. But 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 I think one broad way of thinking about AI is it's just like any way, a- anytime you make a decision making procedure more intelligent. So, for instance, like Spotify determines what song you're going to listen to next. That is artificial intelligence. Facebook decides what news you're going to read next. That is artificial intelligence. But there's also like the more science fictiony aspects of AI where people think of AI as like an embodied robot uh, that has like a unique life experience and maybe wants to kill you. Uh, that doesn't actually exist yet. It is a thing that could exist, and to that extent, people are scared of it. But but is that the kind of thing that actually has anything to do with AI, like that science fiction idea, or is that more just like a robot, like robotics, basically? Um, it it does they're have kind of, to do with they're AI. Kind of intrinsically connected, yeah. Yeah. So so let's say let's say you're Spotify, and you want to make the world's best, um, like song selection algorithm like mm-hmm. the the best way to select the next song is to know every single thing about an individual like you you, you know like their cultural background their ancestry you know what songs their friends like uh and, and so so even to solve a very simple problem to do it like exactly 100 percent perfectly you need to have uh in- incredibly general intelligence and so the idea is for solving all kinds of different problems, we'll want to have like a like general intelligence that has insight into large amounts of the human experience. Uh, and it's very easy to make a step from, okay, we have something that can understand 90% of the human experience to something that is truly terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I think the article did a really good job at like kind of laying out the three levels and Shantini, like you were saying, kind of the one that we interact with on an everyday basis is I know the, I know the um, the acronym is ANI, but I can't remember what the N stands for. Do you remember what the N stands for? Probably narrow. Yeah. Artificial narrow intelligence. And these are the things that, yeah, we interact with on a daily basis that are like programs that are really good at streamlining one decision-making process. Yeah. So, so the classic example of a of not narrow artificial intelligence in the field is something like chess. You know, AI has been very right. good at playing chess for decades, uh, but Deep Blue isn't going to do anything too crazy. It's it's Deep, right. Deep Blue isn't going to like 
try to become the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the reason, well, not, there are many reasons for why that's not going to happen, but the, the kind of the separator between a narrow AI and then like the next two levels up are like you were saying, Sean's new, this kind of understanding of the human experience and like the ability to like string separate decision-making processes together yeah. to solve to solve like a very human problem. Yeah. It, um it yeah, go ahead. Like D Deep Blue doesn't have an understanding of anything that isn't chess. You know, it's like inputs are hard coded to chess. Like I, I do want to emphasize that it's like not at all possible. It's like not even conceivable that Deep Blue could do a thing that isn't chess. Yeah. It just it does not have the faculties nor the inputs nor the outputs to do anything besides chess. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to lead the viewers into the into the levels, right? And like the level of science fiction, it seems like it raises as you go into these levels. But important to precurse these two levels by saying they don't exist in the world yet. Right. Like, but these are the like you were saying, Sean in the beginning, like a lot of what the perception of AI is imaginary because it doesn't exist yet. But this is like kind of where we feel like we're going. Wait, the, and the last level was the super intelligence level. It was like yeah. narrow. It was like the narrow level, the general level, and then like the and super, the super intelligence level. level. Yeah. yeah. So, so the three levels and the medium, the medium level is roughly is like when you develop an AI that has like the general like intelligence level of a human being. Is that right, Shantanu? Uh, I I'd say that's broadly correct. So, like the the specific thing that people are really scared about is uh, when an AI is capable of improving itself. Uh, because that sort of opens the solution, like the space of possible things that can happen dramatically. Uh, if you're just training an AI to predict the weather for the next day, it could get really good. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's not... Like if if you just have like labels and you're basically doing linear regression but much fancier, like there's a limit to how how good you're going to get. Uh, but if you allow like, say you had an AI that was human level intelligence or slightly above human level intelligence, maybe it figures out a way to make a, a better AI than itself. After all, humans work uh, in this situation. Humans are capable of making a pretty good artificial intelligence. And then that new slightly smarter artificial intelligence figures out how to make something even slightly smarter than it. And it continues that process a couple of times. And before you blink your eye, you have like something omnipotent and omniscient that humans don't have a chance of understanding. Right. You know, the scary thing is that as, you know, this sort of as AIs, you know, would exceed the human level of intelligence and kind of version to the super intelligence they would also perceivably get better at teaching themselves how to do things or teaching yeah, themselves and, understanding things yeah and and, and just to to fall, go back to our previous discussion about chess and narrow intelligence it is already the case that like chess ai is superhuman humans don't fully understand why uh chess ais make their decisions of course grandmasters are able to like see valuable things like see value in the positions these chess AIs and Go AIs are finding, but they are superhuman and we don't fully understand them. Right. It's just that they're limited to their domains. As a as a very mediocre chess player, that's rated like I'm think I'm rated like twelve hundred. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> which is not high. Um, yeah, like you, you know, there are these like really fancy chess algorithms that you can learn from and they'll see a line that, you know, like one good move that results in a really good positioning, like 20 moves down the board, you know, it's just like not like beyond the, the capability of human understanding or a human comprehension of some of like chess AI's strength does come from just calculation, like being able to see lines 20 moves ahead, but, but recent advances uh, they also have a m- much better sense of like the positional nature, like the, the position of the board. And and this is why uh, we've recently made a lot of advances in Go. Uh, Go has a high enough branching factor. So you, you have a large number of options for every move, which means it's it's really, really hard to do that sort of exhaustive brute force calculation and look like have these long lines of play 20, 20, 30 moves in advance. Uh and, and, and so AIs that are really good at Go have a very deep, like, positional and, like, intuitive feel mm-hmm. for the game. The idea of, like, looking at the board and not necessarily trying to predict what move is going to happen, but knowing that in this situation, this would probably be the best move to make. Yeah, the, the kind of thing that to a human would be like, this feels like a good position. The, the ineffable parts. Well, one of the things that I feel like was a big, like, aha moment for me is like understand like there's a there's this like the notion that i think there's this misconception often about like oh if ai becomes super smart it's going to like get into this realm of ethics that has to do with like can the computer like feel things right and i think that one of the biggest distinctions that a lot you know often when people are like introducing ai make is that they're like this like Artificial intelligence is not the same as like artificial cognition or consciousness, right? Yes. Like it's it's real like we don't we don't have we have like some of some clue how the brain works from like the learning chess and stuff like that. We have like no clue how the brain works when it comes to like feeling things, right? Yeah, we, we don't even have a good definition for consciousness. And it's an incredibly important question, right? Right. Like imagine there is a world in which we develop like really powerful AI. And we're like, great, we can finally get this AI to do all the things that we humans don't want to do that suck. Uh, but it turns out that consciousness and we're just like endlessly torturing them by having them fill out our taxes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I there was one I don't remember which book it was in, but there was like an AI book I was reading that was talking about how when they were coming up with, you know, these first AI that would like play Atari games or whatever they like would program or they had one that was like playing Mario and like, you know, they programmed it to do all the, like get all the coins and like, you know, cool, kill the Goombas, whatever. And like when it had run out of things to do, it would just kill itself basically. <laughs> and like, that was a very, like they had no clue. Like they were very surprised that it did that. Yeah. Right. And they were like, damn, like maybe they're like, it, maybe this actually is going to reinvent our understanding of what like, you know, AI morality is because like, maybe there is something like sort of immoral about like creating this program to do this one thing. And then if it can't do that thing anymore, like, is there some sort of suffering involved there or something? Uh, Another lens on this is various models are trained through reinforcement learning, which is basically uh, the model does something good and you give it a cookie and say, try to do that more often. 
and the model does something bad and you're like yeah. slap on the wrist please don't do that again uh and if if like the model was actually like thinking and perceiving and feeling it probably w- would like the the cookie and probably would hate the slap on the wrist so can can you explain a little bit more about like what what does it mean to give an algorithm a cookie like how does that actually work you know sure so so almost all artificial intelligence research done today is in the field of deep learning uh deep learning means you take several large matrices and then just repeatedly like multiply them by each other and then if the output is close to what you want uh you adjust all the numbers in all of those matrices to make it slightly more likely that you repeat the same output uh and that's about it so why would why would having different so like why would having all of these matrices of numbers multiplied by each other, like, why would that give you uh, an algorithm to, like, recommend Spotify uh, songs, for example? It's, it's a good question. And, like, there isn't a satisfying answer, ultimately. Like, the field of deep learning is very, very empirical, which basically means we use it because it works. Um, like, <laughs> you, you can, like... Say you you can like look at toy examples of neural networks and say, oh, uh, clearly this this network, if you have the right numbers, is capable of approximating this class of functions. But there isn't like a a deep theoretical understanding of why that is, or like like why it works so well in practice. Th- there's also an, an analogy to like mechanistically understanding the human brain. We we don't have a great understanding of how the human brain works we know it has like millions or we know it has like trillions of neurons uh we can point to regions of the brain and say oh uh the hippocampus does this uh the frontal cortex does that but we don't have a great mechanistic understanding of like how higher level cognitive cognitive faculties arise like we, we don't know what it means for a human to be in love in terms of what is happening in the neurons yeah like like um jandre do you know do you know the um like the little story of clever hans have you ever heard that story before that sounds familiar but i can't recall it right now it was like they had this horse that like they they thought could do math they would be like what's like you know five times seven or whatever and then they would like you know clop its hoof on the ground until it got to 35 and people were like, oh, my God. Like, oh, and, then, and then it was just getting a it just stopped when it got a carrot. Is that what it is? No, no, no. It just stopped when it was reading the emotions of the people in the room. And it could tell when they were getting more and more excited that it was getting close to the number. And the, the point that people often like tell the story is because, you know, like they were so impressed that this horse was like doing math. But like, actually... It is a lot easier to do math, at least from like a computer standpoint, than it is to do what the horse was actually doing, which is yeah, like which is reading read emotions. emotions, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that like that's really to, hard to do. I think that speaks to like kind of the jump that it seems like a- AI in our world has yet to make, right? The, the articles talk about how there are some things that feel like innate to us humans um and feel very easy for us to understand that are actually like very very complicated things to try and teach a computer like 
you know, like emotion. all the things that are yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. You know, or like, like things that we feel like raising your hand above your head, you know, or like, you know, why you might raise your hand above your head and like what situation you might do that or whatever. Like the shit, like, you know, like those kinds of logical, logical sort of trails that feel very human to us. But the fact that the reason like it's connected, like those things feel human to us because they're kind of innate. And those are the kinds of things that are really hard. Yeah. To so in psychology, there's some talk of like system one and system two, uh, where like system one faculties are things like emotions or instincts or vision where you, you, you don't know why you perceive a water bottle as a water bottle. It's something you see that happens to you for free. And, and, but, but, but system two processes are things where you're like, Oh, what is seven plus five? And then you like do the carry digit and you're like, Oh, 12. And you, you like step through some algorithm in your head. And historically, like computers have been very good at uh, stepping through algorithms. We're able to like translate our system two processes into code that we can then get computers to run. But the things like vision, like pattern recognition or like understanding emotions or anything that like we kind of get for free from being ingrained in us by billions of years of evolution, that's, that's something computers haven't been able to do. Deep learning has been incredibly successful in that field. Like, like computer vision is now at a place where it can like recognize most objects. Uh, th- that's completely astounding. If, if like, it's not something people would have predicted like 20 years ago. But there's, Shantani, there's, there's good, I mean, there's good reason to believe that eventually computers will be able to do this, right? Like this isn't like an if thing, it's a one thing. Do this like step one cognition. Yeah, I, I I guess the question is like, surely, surely at some point we're gonna run up into like cases where it becomes really, really murky to figure out whether an AI is actually conscious or not. Right, and I'm less I'm less talking about consciousness. I'm more so talking about just like being able to like you know connect the water bottle. You know, like being able to connect like you know do these kinds of things that like add context to things that didn't have context before. Like you know like um more of the step one processes in that way less less so like you know feeling feelings or like being conscious but like an ai would be able to like look at this water bottle and be like that's aquafina or that's aquafina brand aquafina is sold here and like you can do it and like we can you know the plastic from aquafina comes from here and like kind of connecting these ideas yeah, together I, right? I, i'd say we're like already at the point where state of that systems can do that and it that is a very surprising fact it's something like the the rapid progress in the field has surprised a lot of people and i i do think like as you like have systems that have uh like of a great understanding of like context and like an understanding of like the ability that clever hands had to read a room i think they appear more and more person-like and and people uh like more willing to read agency into something that is almost certainly not conscious or agentic and that's why that's why like the 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 comic book like movie villain ais like are always you know emotionally evil like they're they're presented as evil but you know if there is like a an ai that does away with us all it's not going to be because it did quote unquote turned evil like humans or evil humans kind of made up the the concept of evil that's not something that you know 
I, I think that's with. true of all villains. I, I think it's very, you're very lucky if you end up in a world where you have a cartoon villain because that's something most people will be able to point to and be like, oh, that guy is actually kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, the situations involving AI safety that people are um, most m- most concerned about uh, are cases where, like, they, there's sort of an impedance mismatch between the things humans want the AI to do and the things the AI wants to do or thinks humans want it to do. Uh, so the, the the classic parable in the field is the the AI that's a paperclip optimizer. So you run a paperclip factory and you're like. It's 2022. To attract funding, I need to have AI involved in my paperclip business. So you build an AI to to make more paperclips for you, and you really crack it. You do the best job anyone's ever done at making an AI. Uh, and this AI quickly achieves, like, like quickly understands like all the ins and outs of making a paperclip, and and says, okay, what's the next step for this business? I need to go further. I need to like get more access to raw materials. So it's like, uh, so it learns to manipulate the stock market so it can buy all the iron in the world to make it into paper clips. And then it's like, well, I'm running out of iron. I need to figure out how to solve nuclear fusion so that I can make all the, I can do literal alchemy and make all the iron that I want. And then it's like, oh, these humans are trying to stop me from making paper clips. I have to suffocate them. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. O- oxygen is useless for making paper clips. Uh, and then you end up in a universe that's full of paperclips and not particularly full of humans. So can we get into some of those like, <clears throat> like there's a lot of pretty wild scenarios that uh, that Tim Urban lays out in that article. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on whether this is like totally like out there or if you're like oh based on what i know of ai this is actually like you know what he's saying is like sort of plausible right because he 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 walks through like you know the the combination of ai with like nanotechnology where he's sort of like okay if we were able to make you know tiny little robots that could change molecular structures of like cells then like we could effectively like do all kinds of shit we could like reverse climate change or we could like you know uh reverse aging like we could make ourselves immortal like there's all of these like really science fictiony like ideas that he is sort of claiming is put into the realm of possibility by ai um and i think both of us probably want to know <laughs> if that is like you know sensationalistic or not it, essentially I, I think the field has like a, a narrow line to like a, a, it's a tricky line to walk because uh we don't have that kind of ai the like the superhuman ai we do have currently is very narrow uh it like solves like small problems uh and, and those problems like you 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 can almost think of them as like better tools for humans right like sure we have like some ai that is very good at folding proteins but it's basically a, a, just another tool in a whole quiver of uh, arrows we have for drug discovery. But uh, we don't have anything like a, an AI that can invent nanotechnology yet. But, but the whole fear is that we could develop something like that, and it would take uh, like not that much time for it to go from zero to 100 and have all kinds of ramification, ramifications for society. 
So, like, are you scared of something like that personally? Like, knowing probably more than the average person about AI, is that something that, like, keeps you up at night? Uh, it's it's <laughs> not something that keeps me up at night, but it, it is something that keeps people I know up at night. Okay. Uh, I, I think in general, I'm, like, I, I fall slightly more on the cynical side. But again, the the, the whole the whole thing is like you're multiplying a small a small to medium probability times like a really large potential negative impact and and it's hard to like say oh actually i think the probability is like a thousand times less it's still like a very small number times a very large number and that's a tough calculation to make yeah and it seems like another like (laughs) it seems like you know, there are some really divided kind of camps of, you know, the futurism perspective on the AI. Like, it seems like, you know, Sean Snow, you're kind of in like the cynical, like, eh, well, you know, I'm not sure about all that kind of camp. Um, I, I will say that while I am in the cynical camp, I am the cynical camp amongst like people who know a lot about AI. I think like my views on AI are probably pretty extreme compared to the average like Americans. So, well, so then what would you say is the average amongst, like, AI people? Uh, I, I, I think most people think that, yes, we will have human-level intelligence at some point. Uh, I think the concern is just that even human-level intelligence could have fundamental impacts on society. And, and, that, that's, and then there is, like, beyond that, there's a chance of, like, oh, we create an omniscient omnipotent system that like and humans become irrelevant so but i I think there's not that much you can do in the face of omniscience and omnipotence but there are very specific things you can do to like address the pot address the effects that even human love like having replicable human level intelligence would have on society Mm -hmm. Uh, like that would have a fundamental impact on the economy and that's something you can actually like sort of see right. a path to are you are you kind of talking about like there are safeguards we could put into place to like p- potentially mitigate the risk of a human intelligence replicable human level intelligence ai uh I, i'm saying that like i think that's we're, we're focusing a lot on the negative aspects but there are a lot of positive aspects to be had from having human level intelligence like it's it's not we don't want to ban research into artificial intelligence we want to encourage it we just want to make sure that it's being done thoughtfully and safely and to the extent that there's like a long tail of uh like sorry uh, uh, a small chance of like really negative outcomes that we're taking those seriously and 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 like are, are ready if something happens but but for instance like right like i i one of the things i work on is code modeling so creating generative models that can write code as a programmer uh, if I am good enough at my job, I will be out of a job very quickly. Obviously, like programmers do like drive a pretty decent percentage of the economy. That's a large number of people who would be out of jobs in like this scenario. Uh, like it, if you have human level intelligence that can like do the jobs of most doctors, lawyers and programmers like that erases like a large part of the middle class. If you do it not particularly thoughtfully you will increase income inequality there'll be the capitalists who own the systems that can now do most of the labor that 
you previously had a human workforce doing. And th- that alone could have really deleterious impacts on society. So mm-hmm. is your organization, I mean, I assume you guys have conversations about this, about like governance and like what happens if your AI kind of like takes off and like could like take over the economy and whatever. Like, is there are, like how many ethicists work there is kind of my question. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> like, is this something that people are talking about all the time? Like, you know, what what what's going to happen if we suddenly like or you know, all the people we know suddenly like are in control of these algorithms that suddenly start to like run the economy, basically. Yeah, th- this is something that gets talked out talked about a lot. And yeah, I, I think to its credit, OpenAI ha- like has done a really good job of trying to be foresighted about this. And like, like we we do invest a lot in like when not just a technical shop, we do invest a lot in like policy research and kind of like out there almost philosophical research um we're, we're not like we're not like a standard for profit profit company we have like a weird capped profit structure and the idea is like if you know we do it if we successfully like create a utopia where we where human labor isn't necessary and we just have like this massive creation of like wealth from from like all of human labor disappearing how do we make sure that that like broadly benefit fits humanity like that's built in into like our company's charter it's sort of built into the legal like structure of the company so like what is the plan like how you know <laughs> seems like there is some chance that this is gonna be really relevant to all of us soon <laughs> yeah I, I it's not the the part of the org that i work in but uh like sure people are looking for instance looking into running universal basic income studies uh so i think OpenAI is involved in like the world's largest OpenAI uh like basic income study i i think that's like a very easy potential path forward okay we create a lot of wealth we will just literally hand it to everyone right yeah i think that the it's really easy to, to hyperfixate on like maybe the kind of the the sci-fi e or even like negative aspects but of ai but the, you know i think that the the prospect of like you know being able to ask something a question and have it give us you know information to help us solve like a really big issue you know like if we have an ai that can help us figure out like transportation and that's like both safe and very and very like energy neutral that'd be sick um yeah but would have but would also have big implications for the gas and oil industry right so it's like there's always going to be trade-offs um but you know it's going to be mitigating those every step of the way i guess yeah but 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 i do take like an overall optimistic view on change like technology has been the greatest greatest driver of human flourishing for the last like several millennia at Every time we've had a major technological breakthrough, it has like led to advances in like human quality of life. And sure, those advances haven't been evenly rolled out, uh, and they have resulted in other problems. But I think most people are pretty happy to be living in the 21st century. I mean, that's true, but I think that there are definitely also a lot of people who are looking at our current sort of 
environment and our relationship with technology and also feel somewhat like uh victimized by it right because it is like kind of scary to think of like your whole life being run by these algorithms right and it's uh not necessarily the case that just because technology has has done that in the past that that will always be the case in the future right that is true but 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 one take on that is that our world is already governed by systems out of our control. They're just distributed systems that, and we can't like point to one single computer running in some place and saying that that's responsible. To think about the stock market, right? At its core, what the stock market is doing is providing a mechanism for an economy to decide uh, where to invest resources. And we don't know anything about how the stock market works. And the stock market affects so many aspects of our life, whether you think about it or not, how hard it is to find a job, how much housing costs, whether you can afford to have children, whether you can afford to retire, whether you're more likely to start a new business or shut an existing business down. The stock market like silently reaches into like almost every corner of our lives and like ha exerts its influence over all of us. We just don't think about it that much. Because I tend to agree that, like, I could envision sort of like tech, like a techno utopia in which, like, we did have these more, more reliable systems of distribution that was done in sort of a centralized way. Um, I think probably the thing that freaks people out is like just like yeah. who's the one who's the one doing that has that? The, like who's the one at the center? The right? Is it the government? Right. Is it open AI? Like, is it companies? Right. How, like, what is that going to look like? Because like, I guess from the standpoint of like, okay, you know, say some AI company does actually like figure out how to make a super intelligent AI and then they like basically get all the money in the world or whatever. Like it's still up yeah. to someone's discretion. Yeah, I guess in all, right. And all the scenarios we've been talking <laughs> about, right. It's always like, you know, someone or some company or some entity did a good job at you know cracking the ai and probably it's not going to be like that right probably it's going to be like a very incremental process um but you know is there any good reason to believe that a good ai wouldn't be optimized for proprietary purposes just like everything else is in our in our society i i i, I think if like people just defaulted to the way that they've been doing business for the last how many ever years i, I i'd say the answer is clearly no which is why, like, people are thinking about this now. Like, OpenAI is not structured as a standard for-profit company. It has, like, this whole complicated legal right. structure where it's, like, a cap profit beyond which, like, any returns don't go to investors. Uh, they go to, like, fulfilling the mission of the company and, like, broadly distributing benefits to all of humanity. Um, like, But what does that mean exactly? Uh, it it means like at at the very least like we're not a company that in the event of creating an artificial super intelligence we will use it to maximize shareholder value but like would it mean like doing like a universal basic income or would it mean like going to like giving the money not maybe it means asking the ai what would be like the, what would be the best use for the money <laughs> and then yeah. and then doing that <laughs> yeah in this science fiction scenario i think that's a perfectly good question to ask. Uh, but, but personally, I do feel like things like if you're in a society where fundamentally people do not need to work because we have solved the issue of labor, 
I, I think that's like basic income seems like a pretty good potential solution for helping people continue to exist and flourish. Is that something that, do, I mean, I don't know if you would know this, but is that something that like you guys talk with the government? Like, is the idea that it would be the government doing that or some other like some other entity, uh, you know? Uh, again, this this isn't like my field. But but yes, in in general, yeah. like OpenAI does coordinate a lot with governments. A lot of people spend time like trying to form relationships with people in mm-hmm. in governments, trying to make sure like if in, in in the event that you actually do think uh super intelligence is like at all even a possible like a, a distinct possibility, that's something clearly like the government and the citizens should Mm -hmm. be involved in. Well, because it sounded like, okay, at least based on this article, it was saying that, like, the median, like, AI scientist believes that we're going to have, like, some version of artificial, I don't know, remember if it was artificial general intelligence or super intelligence, but basically they're saying that we were going to have that by 2040. That was general intelligence. Which is not that far away. General intelligence. Yeah, I do think there's, like, like a significant chance of a, like a large number of current jobs, like looking very antiquated, very fast. Yeah. And here we are back at mm-hmm. Andrew Yang, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> who like, you know, his, his like one talking point when he was running for president in 2020 was AI is coming and, you know, we got to consider UBI <laughs> because it's gonna, it's gonna make a lot of jobs obsolete. I- I think the one thing that surprises people is that it probably won't be the jobs that people most expect. I think when people tend to think about automation replacing jobs, it's like, oh, the bug of flippers who are making minimum wage are going to go first. Uh, but I, I, I think that's actually probably fairly unlikely because, first of all, because the incentive to replace higher paying jobs is just X times minimum wage, uh, but also like, if you're a knowledge worker and you've spent the last two years like interacting with everyone in your workplace over a screen, you know how like already perfectly digitized all your modes of interaction are. Uh, and turns out computers are really great at at interacting digitally. They're less good at like flipping burgers in meat space. I mean, yeah, I think financially incentive it makes sense, right? It's like if we if you're a if you're a legal firm and you figure out that like and you, and you find an AI that can like do your paralegal research or can like compose arguments for you better than any, better than, you know, any lawyer can, then like, why not fire all of your high paid lawyers <laughs> and that would save yeah, you a ton of money. I, I, I do think like that is something that we're going to increasingly see. I, I do not see like paralegal as a profession, like lasting for too much longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, because like the reason I wonder about how like how uh, prominent that part of the conversation is in you know any of these organizations is because like I feel like there's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem in the sense that like this technology at least from what I can see seems like it's going to happen first before the UBI stuff because you know the UBI got has not been getting the political traction that you know i think it should be getting right and so like 
it does seem like I hear a lot of people working on, (laughs) you know, automating underwriters and pharmacists and lawyers and what have you. And if there's a gap, right, between those jobs getting automated and, you know, those, you know, that actual UBI coming into place, it seems like that's a pretty huge societal problem. Yeah, Uh, I I agree. I I think OpenAI does do like a pretty good job of this. Like we don't like make a thing Mm -hmm. and immediately be like, okay, here, everyone can use it now. Uh, For instance, Mm -hmm. with our large language models, we've had like like delayed releases and restricted like restricted access to them. Uh, So we could like monitor how people uh, are using them. For instance, when GPT-2 was first a thing, like fake news was really like a really large part of the national conversation. And here we've created a language model that is really good at producing text on any topic. Uh, <laughs> so maybe we chill with it for a little bit. <laughs> so maybe we chill with it for a little bit. And and what OpenAI did was they released like like the smallest, least capable uh, version of GPT-2 and then saw like monitored to see if people were doing bad things with it and slowly like ramped up uh like when there wasn't any evidence of any anything too untowards happening um we we like ramped up and finally released the actual model for gpt3 we don't release the actual model we we only allow people to access it through an api so we can monitor exactly how people are interacting with uh, these language models and and detect anything onto what's for instance with the war in Ukraine people were like oh maybe uh, maybe the Russians are trying to use a state-of-the-art NLP to create propaganda and that's something we're like explicitly monitoring for and is that the kind of thing where when you say release like can it is that free can anyone just use it or is it the kind of thing where you have to pay to use it or what uh, so anyone can use GPT-2. Like we we've released those model weights publicly. So if you have like G- a GPU, you can run GPT-2 yourself. Uh, GPT-3 is like restricted behind an API. Uh, it is like OpenAI does have like a small product offering around it. So the easiest way to interact with it is to pay. But for instance, we like we're pretty generous with free credits. We will like give free credits to academics who are trying to study it and things like that. But I think at the core of what you're saying as well is right. It's like these, you know, our government just is generally not very preventative. Right. So it it is going to take, it is just probably, you know, by nature of the way our country works, going to take automation to continue. Cause I mean, automation is already happening, right? It's not just like, it's not like this is a foreign thing. Right. Um, it's going to take the the issue to continue happening before our government kind of steps in and decides. But I mean, hopefully, I think to me, it's still kind of wishful thinking, but hopefully, you know, AI creators like OpenAI or whoever might, you know, stumble upon it would work with the government to, you know, get in front of something. But it's not historically, that's not really how yeah. our government has worked. <laughs> I, I think there's like an an analogy to the development of the atomic bomb. Like when we realized that nuclear fission was actually possible, a bunch of scientists banded together and wrote a letter to the president and that turned into the Manhattan Project. Uh, I think like people do draw parallels to that and are like, okay, if we 
actually, we, we will form relationships with important people in the government now, keep them abreast of like developments. And if we think that there is like an actual likelihood of this, of something happening in the short term future, we suddenly have this collection, collective action problem where we can leverage all the, these relationships we've had, uh, we've built with governments and other AI labs to make sure that we don't have like an arms race sort of situation and we can like all take a step back and breathe and, and, and figure out but maybe, how best but maybe the Manhattan forward. Project is not the best example to call on because it was, it was kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you're talking about like instances in human technology where we have like come close, we have developed something like, like with an enormous potential to affect human life on this planet there aren't there aren't that many other examples to draw from yeah that's right like you know if for whatever reason we figured out that nuclear fission was a thing and then it like and then just like released it it could have been a lot worse than you know the way yeah there are all all kinds of counterfactuals involving atomics where the world is terrible like if it was as easy to make a nuclear bomb as it is to make a gun, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Right. So I think we've been, I mean, we've been talking, <laughs> we've settled into like a very, a very kind of like logical place with talking about automation, but like it, I can't not, I can't finish this podcast without mentioning that, like, you know, these articles that we read, were talking about, like, you know, if, and a super intelligence is being created, like, good chance this is going to really aggressively impact the fate of the human race (laughs) you know like we're talking about like automation that's great but also there is you know there like there is a little more at stake here than just than just figuring out how to drive cars better right yes (laughs) but 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 again it's it's hard to like talk about talk about like our society like changing completely right it's like okay jesus landed on this earth and he's telling us all what to do yeah like that that's not a scenario we really know how to think about like likely this ai would be like learning things that we haven't even learned yet or that will be hard for us to conceive or to fathom so like it is hard to actually you know have a conversation around because like what even is it the case is that basically on one side of the spectrum is like total extinction right and the other side of the spectrum is like immortality and endless wealth or whatever right and i guess what i would ask you shantanu is do you think in okay maybe within the scope of like our lifetimes because i don't think we can project you know hundreds and hundreds of years maybe but um are what would you say is sort of like based on what you know the worst case scenario that you personally would worry about and like the best case scenario that you would like hope for. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not too worried about like, uh, Oh, the singularity comes about and sends us all into like eternal simulated hell for failing to bring it about sooner or some, something like that. Like, I, I don't know how to reason about that. I don't like see the steps necessary to get there. Uh, it may, maybe that's too short termist of me, but it's just not something I, I know how to reason about. I'm not religious. I haven't spent that much time thinking about what it would be like if God existed on our planet. Uh, I, I think the spectrum of things I think about more are like 
what, how should we organize society if uh, a lot of like middle class knowledge worker creative jobs just disappear? Like fundamentally, most humans aren't doing anything that special for work. Uh, that could all go away. And I, I think that gives us both the best case and sort of realistic worst case scenarios. The best case is we create massive amounts of human wealth. We take away the need for labor and people are able to flourish and spend their time doing whatever the hell they want. And the worst case scenario is like all of that excess productivity is just like absorbed into like the three people who have power over the whole planet and the rest of us are just like begging for scraps. <laughs> I think we should end it right there. <laughs> Shantanu, thanks so much. Yeah. It's been really great having you. And I think I, I think your your calm presence has definitely helped my perception of AI as a whole. <laughs> okay, well, this is your time. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, go sports team. Go sports. Um, I guess uh, COVID. One one of the things that has been bad about COVID for me is it's made me really dread figuring out what I want to eat for dinner every day. So if you have like good staple vegetarian dinner ideas, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can where can they reach you if they want to let you know? Hauntsaninja uh, at gmail.com. H-A-U-N-T-S-A-N-I-N-J-A. Great. As always, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Gmail. It's our Twitter. And that's our Instagram. Otherwise, bye.